Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So this is a prayer to God. This is a prayer to God where the psalmist is saying, make me to know mine end. Now, our natural tendency is not to think about our end. We would like to turn our back on the fact that we're gonna die. We like to think of ourselves living life on the going up side of the Ferris wheel and not on the going down side of the Ferris wheel. And I was talking to my friend John about a friend who is 38, 38 years old, and she's dying of cancer. And we're saying, oh, it's sad. And John says, are you kidding? We're kidding ourselves if we don't think that we're right behind her. Now, Psalm 39.4, the prayer is, make me to know my end. Make me to know my end. It means, make me to appreciate how short my life really is. Make me to not run away from considering I'm gonna die and what's gonna happen to me after I leave this earth. Okay, now, that's all well and good. How do you do that? How do you make yourself appreciate your end? Well, one way is that you can just take a thoughtful walk through a cemetery. And cemeteries are interesting places because when you walk through the cemetery and you look and you maybe see a picture of the person or some phrase or whatever, and you look at the dates and you figure it out, oh. Now, most people live their lives on earth with no end of life in view. You know, it's all run, 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 grasp, grasp, grasp. You know, just grab the next thing. It reminds me of the history of this man who was scaling up the side of a tall building in New York, and the crowd's below, and they're watching, you know, as he's, he's going from window to window, and that window's had a short metal banister there and some uprights, and, and he's grabbing from one of those metal uprights and the banister to the other, and the people are all, oh, you know. And then suddenly... He fell to his death, and the crowd is in shock and horror, and they're gathered around his lifeless body there on the pavement, and his fist is closed, and in his closed fist holds the secret of why he fell to his death. And so so what happened is is that when they pried open his closed fist, they saw that he was clutching a collection of cobwebs cobwebs. So he'd come to this window banister, and he saw what looked like any other metal piece, metal up right there. But in fact, there was no metal piece there, because in its place was cobwebs, and the dirt from the city and the dust from the city, the wind had blown in, and made it look like there was a metal piece there. And he thought that dirty cobweb was a metal piece strut that was going to support him, so he grabs for it, fully expecting it to hold his weight, 
But when the cobweb then crushed in his hand, he was shocked to have discovered that it was just an illusion. There was no metal there. And at that point he fell, but it was too late for him to reach for another metal. So that's a picture of deception in life. The deceived soul who says, I don't have time for God. I'm climbing higher and higher in life. As I reach for another level, as I reach for another adventure, as I reach for the next row on the climb, and with each new reach in the climb of life, each new achievement that is gained, he feels confirmed that I have a good life without God. I don't need God. Till finally there, there's that final reach, that grab in life for what looks like it should be solid, and it's not, and it comes with the fatal letdown. Why? Because life without hope in God is life without the solid anchor of the soul, which is described in Hebrews 6.19. Hebrews 6.19, which describes which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast entereth into that within the veil. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore we cannot slip, and it will not break down. Hope in the Lord Jesus Christ will hold, not like that cobweb, that looked like it was solid, but it was nothing. So this prayer in Psalm 39.4, Psalm 39.4, make me to know mine end, is a prayer to God, make me ready to die. Make me ready to leave this earth. It's a prayer to make me live life looking forward to eternal life with God in heaven and not looking backward on what I've achieved in life. It's a prayer in life to look through the front windshield of life and don't live looking through the rear view mirror. Because God wants us to consider this issue. This is important. He says he wants us to consider this issue of our end of our life here on earth. And he's yearning when he's talking about his people Israel. He's yearning for Israel that they would do that as we read in Deuteronomy 32.29. Deuteronomy 32.29. And God's yearning heart wells up and he cries out, Oh! Deuteronomy 32, 29. Oh, that they were wise. Oh, that they would understand this. That they would consider their latter end. He says that. Oh, that they would consider their latter end. And God is saying, I wish they would stop saying no one knows what happens after life. And God's saying, I know what happens after life on earth. I know it's either heaven or hell. There's nothing in between. And God has said, what happens to a person after he dies is Romans 6.23, Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's either death and an eternity in hell, or it's life and an eternity in heaven. It's either do nothing and don't take the gift and take the wages of sin, which is death and eternity in hell, or take the gift of life, take the gift of the wages of sin being paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ and having eternity in heaven. And he says, the measure of my day is what it is that I may know how frail I am in Psalm 39, Psalm 39, 4. So when the Lord Jesus Christ speaks about adding any days in life in Matthew 6, 27, the psalmist in Psalm 39, 4 says, make me to know the measure of my day is what it is that I may know how frail I am. It's really bringing a person to see that if he lives 38 years, if he lives 48 years, if he lives 58 years, if he lives 68 years, if he lives 78 years, if he lives 88 years, if he lives 98 years, there's really very little differences in those numbers. You can count them. And the psalmist calls it out and he says, it's a handbreadth. This is a handbreadth. 
right there. You know, you can try this. You stretch your thumb as far as you can from your little finger and pretend your thumb is your birth date and your little finger is your death and ask yourself, can you make it go any farther? And you can't. The psalmist says, my life is but a handbreadth." And he says, the end of Psalm 39.5, Psalm 39.5, Selah, which means stop and think. Think about that for a while. He says, He's not asking God to make him know the short measure of his days to bring him into depression. You know, the Lord in Matthew 6, 27 is not saying you can't change the number of days you have in order to go into depression. The goal of knowing how few are days here on earth is very clearly stated in Psalm 39, 4, Psalm 39, 4, that I may know how frail I am. The goal is to knock the wind out of our sails which got the label on the sails of who needs God. I've got it all in life, I don't need God. And God is saying, think about this, the number of days you got, so you fall down before God. You trust in the ever-living and ever-merciful God because he's gonna lead you to a new life. And the new life is the life of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is the new life. A life of trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine understanding in all thy ways. Acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Very important words, with all thine heart. Kolev, we say kolev, all heart, or or we say it Caleb. Sometimes we say it that way. All heart. So this last week I asked a 16-year-old and an 18-year-old, I asked him, why don't you become followers of the Lord Jesus? And they want you to trust him. And I've been thinking a lot about their answer they gave to me. As a matter of fact, I can't stop thinking about the response that they gave to me to this question. And there is what they said. Because we know that to follow God requires time, and we don't have that time to give up. They said, we know that to follow God requires us to go to church on Sunday. And we're too busy on Sunday to give up that time to go to church. They said, we know that to follow God requires us to spend time reading and studying the Bible, and we're too busy to read and study the Bible. And when they said that, I said, yes, that is true. As a matter of fact, that's just what God says he does require from a person in Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Now, this term, all, it's very, so very important. Just, I'm going to read to you the Shema, and I want you to listen to how many times the Lord uses the word all in the Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. It further goes on in Deuteronomy 11.13. Deuteronomy 11.13, it shall come to pass if you shall hearken children in my commandments which command you this day to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So turning to God is all about the word all. It's all about a total sellout to God. To trust and follow the Lord Jesus, it doesn't mean half or part. It means everything. Give him everything. Give him all your heart of affections and all your soul of decisions and all your strength of actions 
in all your devotion of loyalty, in all your service of life, and oh yes, all your time as well. So I praised the young people. I said, well, you know, uh, I gotta really say it's great. You understand and you have counted the cost of time because to follow the Lord Jesus is all about laying your all on the altar of sacrifice, everything, including your time. And that's what God requires. And he said that in Luke 14, 26, the Lord Jesus said that in Luke 14, 26, when he said, if any man will come to me and hate not his father and his mother, his wife, his children, his brethren, his sisters, yea, in his own life also, he can't be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me, he can't be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest haply after he had laid the foundation is not able to finish it, all that behold him begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Look at him, he started off a Christian, now he's just like us. Or what king going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able 10,000 to meet him that cometh after him with 20,000, or else while in the other, he's got a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he beeth you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. And those young people, they sat down and they counted one cost and they said, no, I don't want to give the time up. That's the cost to be saved. That's the cost to be a follower of the Lord Jesus. Everything, the cost to be saved, the cost to be a child of God is, Lord, I give you everything. I keep back nothing for myself. Take all of me. Now, the Lord now turns from worry over how long your life's gonna be on earth to worry about clothes in verse 28. He says, why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of field, how they grow, they toil, not near they spin. So he points now to the people in Israel to a very, very familiar sight in Israel, which are the lilies. These are what they call in Hebrew the Shoshanim, the Shoshanim of Israel. Shoshanim, very commonly to give to girls, Shoshana, one of the girlfriends of Seinfeld, it doesn't matter, but anyway. And there's a very famous uh, folk song in Israel called Erev shel Shoshanim, Erev shel Shoshanim, goes like that, and it means the evening of the lilies. So the Lord is speaking right down the middle of the lane of what they're familiar with when he calls out lilies. And he says about these lilies, he says, consider, consider, and the Greek word there means to learn from. So by using this word, he's saying, he's saying, guys, the lilies are speaking, listen to them. He's saying to them, the lilies are instructing. Stop and learn from their instruction. He's saying the lilies are talking to you. What they're saying is they're saying, look at us. Look at how we grow clothed in such beauty. Look at us. See what we're doing. We are not working to get this beautiful dress. Look at us and see. We're not busy spinning fibers together to make these clothes. Look at us and see that even the richest man in the world who ever lived, Solomon, with all his glory, he wasn't clothed like we are. Look at us and understand that our clothing did not come from us, it came from God. Our clothing was provided by God, our creator. So the Lord is calling us to study the lilies and learn from them, study them carefully. They're preachers again, just like the birds. They're preaching again, 
They're preaching about how God adorned them, how God nourishes the fowls, all they're preaching. And the Lord now, he says, okay, now we've covered a few things here. We've covered like you're worrying about your lifetime and now we're covered about worrying about what you're closed. And then he kind of goes into the next, in verse 31, in verse 31, he goes through a list of what not to worry about. It's verse 31. Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Shall we be clothed? This is an oy vey list here. <laughs> oy vey, what are we going to eat? Oy vey, what are we going to drink? Oy vey, what are we going to wear? It reminds me, you probably, I told you this. Reminds me of the Jewish family, you know, they, they started out on this road trip, and the father is at the wheel, and the mother's next to him, and in the back seat, and the father had made sure that, you know, how it is, um, bladder's empty and stomach's full of water, you know, everything is in the right direction. Everybody used the bathroom, and they started out, and then from the back seat, grandfather says as they're driving, Oi, am I thirsty? Everybody looks at each other and says, just ignore him, just ignore him, we're on our way. But he says again, Oi, am I thirsty? The silence again. And so it keeps on going, Oi, am I thirsty? Oi, am I thirsty? And the father says, I can't stand it any longer. We'll stop the car and get him something to drink. So he'll stop saying, Oi, am I thirsty? And so they stop and they get him something to drink. And then he starts off again, silence is very good, happy not to hear him. And all of a sudden he says, Oi, was I thirsty? <laughs> That's funny. Anyway. All right, so Matthew 6.31 is an oi verse. It's an oi, what are we going to eat? Oi, what are we going to drink? Oi, what are we going to wear? Now, the Yiddish word oi really is another word of saying, am I anxious? I am anxious. I am anxious. And the Bible tells us there's no room for anxiety. There's no room for anxiety in the life of a child of God. Why? Because of Philippians 4.6. Philippians 4.6. Be careful for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be being known unto God. So anxiety does cause us to not have certain things. And anxiety actually causes us to have other things, some th certain things. For example, anxiety causes a person to not have prayer. A person cannot pray when they're consumed with anxiety. Anxiety brings about, why pray when you can worry? That's what prayer does, I mean, anxiety does. Right? Anxiety actually takes away from the person effective work because anxiety so distracts the person that, that he can't do any effective work because he's engulfed in anxiety. And anxiety also takes away from the person creativity. Because anxiety robs a person from the mental freedom, freedom from distraction, to be able to be creative. And anxiety robs a person, takes away thankfulness. I remember May Tens Kornoski, most of you don't remember her, few of you do. May Tens Kornoski used to come here, and she lived up in Allied Gardens. And there was one afternoon in which she was driving her little car, and she was on the 805 overpass over Mission Valley and her car was hit by a truck or something, and it was just like almost totally crushed. And it was laying there on the side, on the side of 805 there, and the news cameras came, and then came the fire department with the jaws of life, and this was all going on television live as they were breaking open her car, so May Tense get her there, and they pried open her door, and this lady, May Tense, 
comes out with a big smile on her face on television, big smile on her face, and she says, praise the Lord. <laughs> but it was live when she said that. That was so remarkable. So you see, I didn't make that up. Anyway, so anxiety robs a person of thankfulness. Otherwise, you know, anxiety would be, oh, man, I was almost killed out here. That's what anxiety would do. But anxiety also robs a person of just laughter, just laughter and smiling. It takes away all joy in life. It takes away the therapeutic benefits of laughing. And there are therapeutic benefits of laughing. See? Proverbs 17.22, Proverbs 17.22 says, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. And then anxiety takes away testimonies. Anxiety robs us of being able to say, I prayed through this problem and God did it again. And anxiety also robs a person of confidence in God. It steals his away his trust, his reliance, his dependence on God. Whoa, look, he got me into this situation. What am I going to trust him for? Anxiety also blocks the view of heaven. It blocks our view of heaven and to be able to see how God in heaven is at work for us during these trials. Now, those are the things that anxiety takes away from us, but anxiety does give us things. Anxiety does give us an open view of hell. So we get our blocked view of heaven, but now we get an open view of hell and we can see and become very aware of the work of the devil and the work of the demons. Oh, the devil and oh, the power and oh. It gives us that. And then anxiety gives us health issues. Health issues. It gives us health issues. All kinds of problems, not just ulcers, but also compromising the immune system, which is there to fight off all the infections and autoimmune diseases and everything else. And then anxiety also gives us terrible dreams. It gives us terrible dreams. It causes us to have awful dreams, dreams where it's worse than what is really happening. And then anxiety also gives us just an overall frightened spirit, a fearful spirit, where when a door shuts, we jump. Just frightening. It reminds me of... Um, Last week at the American Association of Clinical in uh, Anaheim, 14, well, more now, it's probably about 20,000 clinical chemists from around the world gathered there. We had a booth there and we had so forth. And all of a sudden, a fire alarm goes off and, well, you know, thousands of people go rushing for the doors and, you know, there's like a six-foot concrete wall around the Anaheim Convention Center. Men in business suits are scaling it, you know, and my son David is, hiding behind some, some bus out there, you know, and, and some doors are slamming, and they say, oh, that's the gunshots, you know. Well, none of it was true. But anyway, so he's standing out there, and there was a French man standing next to him. He didn't know him. He says, you know, I'm in France. This is my first time visiting the United States. <laughs> <laughs> anxiety gives a frightened spirit, a fearful spirit, and anxiety causes just to have this sense of terror, this sense of terror, to be on high alert, expecting the worst to happen. And then anxiety also gives a distrust of other people. It makes us not trust other people for fear of what they could do to us. But the worst part about anxiety is that it springs out of an ignorance of who God is. And it comes out of an absence of a personal close walk with God. And so all of these questions that the Lord is asking here, 
are all failures to see how God is providing, providing for us in every step, including in difficult times. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your son and sharing him with us, sharing him with us this morning in his teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 